Anguish has taken wing. Dispelled is darkness. For there is no gloom where but now there was darkness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom, a light has shone. That beautiful prophecy that the Lord made through Isaiah is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We have a light to light our way, to illumine for us who God is and who we are. And we don't like it. I think a lot of times we want to remain walking in darkness. We want to just sit down in the land of gloom and say, no, 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 don't shed light on me. Shed light somewhere else. Why? Because we're scared of what the light may reveal. We've bought into a certain lie that if only the light shone on us, it would show us how much we've fallen short. And, And we wouldn't like what we see. And so we'd rather just sit in darkness. If we have to walk, we walk with such fear, such trepidation, such anxiety, because we don't know the way. But we would rather have that than have to face ourselves as we are. When we live in that land of gloom, under that oppressive darkness, it's true, we have a yoke that burdens us, a pole on our shoulder and a rod of the taskmaster, because we think... And this is the lie we buy into. If somebody knew me as I am, nobody would want to stay with me. If they saw the good, the bad, and the ugly, they would run in the other direction. So better to just live in darkness. Better to keep God at an arm's length. To maybe see the light that's around Him, but not get close enough to where I'm under that light. So I'm willing to come maybe every Sunday and say, Oh, God, you are so great. You are such a great light. But I'm going to stop short of you being my light and my salvation. I'm going to let you be good and glorious, but I'm so scared that if I come close to you, I will see where I've fallen short. I'm going to get discouraged. And so I'd rather just not even go through that. And so sometimes our faith becomes this going through the motions because we're so scared of the light. But friends, it's that light that we yearn for. We want to be able to see ourselves as we are and realize we're lovable. Right? That even if the the culture says that we're falling short here or there or everywhere and, and the world holds up these ridiculous standards that seem to change every few years... And the moment that we fall short, we're done, canceled, forgotten. The the Lord is not like that. What we, I think, see or project onto God is that His light will be just pure justice and will only show us where we have fallen short. It will be that rod of the taskmaster that Isaiah speaks of. And so we don't want that. We're so scared that God will reveal to us all of our faults and failures, and we'd rather not. But friends, in Jesus Christ, there isn't this harshness 
and this fickleness that we see in the world, which will love you one day and forget you the next, love you one day and actually hate you the next. No, with the Lord, there is justice perfectly wedded to mercy. So not only does he look at us and see, yeah, all of the faults and failures, probably more than we see ourselves, but he also sees beyond that to see his beloved child underneath. He also sees hope. He also sees potential. He sees not only where we are falling short, but how far we can go if only we allow ourselves to look upon ourselves under his light, the light of his love. You see, he has, in that one phrase that follows in Matthew's gospel, the fulfillment of this prophecy, what is the immediate next words that are placed in, uh, the, the, on the lips of our Lord? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now when he says repent, what we hear is, you're awful. Well, that's because we're projecting onto God maybe how cruel the world has been to us. Maybe we project onto God how people in our lives have only ever seen the bad in us. Maybe we project onto God the way we talk to ourselves. But when God says repent, he's not saying you're awful. He's saying you're wonderful, and I want you to realize that. I want you to see what I see when I look at you. I want you to turn from anything that, that, that is disfiguring you to be able to live up to the potential that I have created you with. Now, live up to potential there for some of us uh, who, who, who maybe have been crushed under the weight of other people's expectations. We're like, whoa, 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 I, I don't want that. No, no, no. God isn't saying from a distance, I'm going to test you and see if you are up to snuff. No, he says, I, I'm with you intimately every step of the way. When I say you live up to the potential, I don't mean without me. I mean with my strength working through you. You see, when the Lord says repent, it's not condemnation, it's hope. It's him saying, yeah, there are some things that have to change. Justice demands that, right? Jesus is not going to play games with us and pretend that things are otherwise. If we are doing something that is destroying ourselves or others, he's not going to pretend that we're not doing it. But neither is he going to condemn us and say, well, that's just who you are. You have nothing to do with me. No, instead, when he says repent, he says, yeah, there are things that have to change, but I can give you the strength and the grace with which to change them. And when we repent and turn from whatever sins we may, and they might be habitual sins that we think, nah, Father, I've been trying for years, decades. I don't think I can change this. When we do, by the grace of God, even take tiny steps in the right direction, We become more ourselves, not less ourselves. Because that's the lie that the devil loves to whisper uh, to us. When we're in that place of darkness and gloom, where where we're just so down on ourselves because we think, my sin is who I am. That is when we know that that's a lie from the evil one. Because he has no right to give you your identity because he didn't create you. He did absolutely nothing to bring you into existence. He doesn't hold you in existence by the love that he has for you. No, all the evil one does is distort what's already been created. 
So he tries to speak to you that vile lie from the bowels of hell that you are your sin. You're not. When Jesus says repent, he's saying you are more than your past actions and your worst habits. You are more than your shame and your guilt. You are God's beloved child. Let's restore that sacred image within you. But that only happens if we allow the Lord to be a light for us. How does that practically work? Well, it means that we invite him in. Because he, he is a gentleman. He doesn't just come in without invitation. If we are closing our eyes to him and blocking our ears, he's not going to rip open our eyes and start shouting in our face, hear me, hear me now. No, he's going to say, once you're ready, I, I want to show you something. We might for a long time say, no, 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 no I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. And he's there patiently and gently saying, when you're ready, open your eyes. And see yourself as I see you. When you're ready, open your ears. Hear what I have to say to you about your identity. Practically speaking, that means every morning we wake up and we give God permission. We say, Lord, light my path today. Lord, be a light that can shine in my darkness. And we realize the way he does that is not with floodlights that will just illumine the entire path. No, we have a God who loves adventure, and adventures would be so boring if they knew all of the twists and turns right from day one. Plus, we wouldn't do it. If we knew all the difficulty between point A and point B, we would say, nope, staying in this land of gloom and darkness. I know I hate it, but it's better than whatever difficulties there might be ahead. But God, lover of adventure and lover of us, says, just trust me with today. Just trust me with the next step. I'm not going to show you the 15 steps after that, but I will show you the next step. I will show you as much as you can handle day by day as you grow in love and trust for me, who love you and trust you. See, that's the wild thing. God trusts us, us who are so unworthy of his trust so often. He still trusts us with free will. He still says, I'm not going to override your choices. I'm going to work with you in this. So every day, at the beginning of the day, we say, Lord, be my light, be my salvation. We look through the day with the Lord. We say, Lord, be my light here, be my light there, be my light everywhere. Then at the end of the day, under the guidance of the light of his love, we say, okay, Lord, help me to see today through your eyes, not through mine. Because if we look just through our own lives, we will fall into the same old habits of just focusing on how we were victimized by others or how we're just the worst person in the world. Right? Because the evil one loves to get at us from both angles. Either saying they're the worst or I'm the worst, but never focusing on him who is the best. Instead, if we look over our lives and our days with the light of God's love, we can say, okay, God, where did you love me today? Lord, where did you carry me? Where were those moments that maybe I turned from you, but you were still patiently there saying, all right, you might be acting like a knucklehead right now, but you are my beloved knucklehead. and I know that you'll come back. And that way we can start shifting our vision away from the darkness and gloom of thinking that we have to do it alone and towards the light 
of God being our salvation. Okay, but we have to return for just a moment to why we're scared of the light. Because up to this point, you might be saying, okay, all right, I can do that. I can do like a daily little, in the beginning and the end of the day, letting the Lord be my light. But in the big questions of life, that's where we might still be scared. We might be so scared that if we let God shed his light on our own hearts, their desires, on our own lives, our plans, he might have a different plan for us than we had. And we might be so scared that he will call us to something that is too difficult or that we won't like. So very often growing up, we don't even ask the question, of God, what is my vocation? We just say like, all right, I'm going to do my thing and afterwards ask you to fix it. And he's still there. He still loves us. But he made us for flourishing. He knows what will help us to achieve that flourishing the best. So why don't we ask that question? How often is it when we fall in love with someone, we don't even ask the question to the Lord, Lord, are you calling me to love this person for the rest of my life? Instead, we just say, all right, I'm going to do this marriage thing and you better make it work out, all right, dude? And that kind of ends up being our, our full prayer. But how often is it that we don't even ask the question of, Lord, what have you made me for? And we might miss that path that would have led to the greatest flourishing. Now, God will be with us no matter what. But I'd encourage you all who are raising children to from day one Give them that kind of a trust and a love in the Lord to ask him, Lord, be my light and illumine my path, my vocation. God has never stopped calling men to the priesthood. The same same way that he had called Andrew and Peter and James and John. When he said, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. It's not like he did that at the beginning and then somehow stopped. It's that now so many of the men who are being called are so scared to let the Lord be their light. Maybe they're scared that families have expectations of them that don't align. And so they don't even want to ask that question because they realize, no, I I need to carry on the family business. Or I need to be able to provide. Or I need to only ever do that which is a, a... which I have been able to see in my parents, and now I want to imitate that, instead of saying, all of that's well and good, but how about we let God into that process? We can become a community that supports men and women in their vocations, whatever they may be. But we have to create an environment in which they can have the courage and the security to ask that question. To say, Lord, are you calling me to the priesthood? Are you calling me to religious life? Are you calling me to marriage? If so, are you calling me to marriage to this person? Are you calling me to the the single life? To dedicate myself in this very particular way to your work in the world? We will be able to support one another in that. If we are doing it ourselves, if in the little things we say, Lord, I need the light of your guidance, then in the big questions of life, we can have uh, the ability to ask the Lord for his light. So I pray that this week we can make those words that we sang so beautifully in the song the deepest reality of our lives.
that we may be able to escape the land of gloom and darkness, that place where we think that if somebody sees us, they will run because we are unlovable, and instead accept the truth that the Lord sees us and loves us, and that he can share with us his vision of who we are, and that by his grace, we may allow him to be our light and our salvation, to help us see ourselves and the world rightly, to love ourselves and those that we encounter rightly. So that those words we sang can be reality. And the Lord can truly be our light and our salvation.